Good afternoon, Rob. 4970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM. Happy to be with you. Eric, how you doing? I'm glad it's not snowing. Yeah. Yeah, there's that. Had enough of that already. Man, if if, if you've had enough already, Eric, you, you might need to move. Hey, I've I've begged my wife to move for many, many years. Problem it's is October. That we've got family all around here. But if I yeah. could get out, I would do it. I like it here. I think the weather makes it fascinating. I mean, who wants to live in San Diego where it's a boring Me. 72 Me. degrees every day? Me. That sounds terrible. No. That sounds boring. Sounds great. I want I want to live in an environment where you gotta you gotta work a little bit, right? That's <laughs> that's what I like. I want to work on I my like tan. Like my environment challenges me, right? I'll work on my tan. That's what that's right. that's what I like to work on. My golf game. Uh, what do we got coming up today? We got a lot of open phones today. Uh, William Prentice, CEO of Meridian Energy, is going to be on. You know, we've had this this running debate about the um, Davis refinery to be built near uh, Theodore Roosevelt National Park. It's drawn the ire of environmental activists, and and they're doing the usual. They're doing their usual on this. They uh, they are upset that the uh, refinery is going to be. The initial complaint was that the refinery was going to be visible from the park, which it, it kind of isn't. Uh, for the most part, it isn't. As a matter of fact, I, I think, geez, I think it was two years ago now, they actually went out to the refinery and they flew like a big kite up like this, gosh, I don't know, it's this gigantic kite. They flew it up at the level, at the top level of the, the smokestack. And um, and then they went to the highest point. What is it? Look, Lookout Hill or Buckskin Hill or something like that. I forget what it's called. They went to the highest point in Theodore Roosevelt National Park to see if they could see the kite from there, uh, and they couldn't. Couldn't see it. So, so then the tactic shifted, and and now it's it's lawyers and lawsuits and and the regulatory and complaints and and all of that. Um, yesterday, the Public Service Commission, because one of the complaints was that the refinery folks were being something less than truthful, you know, that they were trying to avoid, avoid public service commission oversight. There's a threshold in state law. And if a, a facility is going to be over 50,000 barrels per day in its, its capacity, then I think that's the number. Um, then the, the, the public, North Dakota Public Service Commission's jurisdiction is invoked, right? That's, that's what's in statute. Um, the Davis refinery is going to be just under that at 49,500. That's what they're saying the capacity is going to be. The environmentalists say, oh, they're gaming the process. They're coming in just under so that they can ignore the Public Service Commission's um, jurisdiction. And maybe they are. But an administrative law judge came in and said, uh, well, that doesn't really matter. Uh, you know, their capacity is what it is. Now, if they say that their capacity is one thing, and then they're lying about it, and it's actually higher than that, well, then, okay, we've got a problem. But if they're below the threshold, they're below the threshold, right? So yesterday, the Public Service Commission came out, and they dismissed that complaint. Uh, groundwork on the refinery has started. And honestly, I, I think that this is an important piece of infrastructure for the state of North Dakota. I mean, this puts more capacity in our state. It gives another place where the oil and gas producers can send their output um, it makes our oil play in our state more resilient, right? And we and we talk all the time about needing to diversify our economy, and I, I think there's right. But there's an aspect in that also maybe making our existing industries more stable. 
And the more infrastructure we build around oil and gas development, I'm talking about things like pipelines, I'm talking about things like this refinery, the more capacity that we build around it, the more stable that it's going to be, right? It's it's like building railroads for, for the ag industry, right? Building railroads and all, and all, all that stuff, elevators. I mean, we've got to have that stuff in order to make the industry here more resilient to ups and downs. So anyway, we're going to talk with uh, William Prentice, the CEO of Meridian Energy. That's coming up at 1.30. Uh, in the meantime, your phone call, 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Lots to talk about. You know the thing I want to talk about first? You remember um, you remember Eric that we had uh, we, when we had the um, the uh, debate going on last week that where uh, we had the vote on Kavanaugh and we ended up having to uh, cancel or I guess we didn't cancel, but the prairie public debate between Kevin Kramer and Heidi Heitkamp was canceled. Um, and it looks like right now um, we are being uh, – right now it doesn't look like that debate's going to be rescheduled. And the Heitkamp campaign and the Democrats are out saying that, you know, Kevin Kramer's been reticent to agree to more debates. You know, and they're talking, they've got all these numbers, like a half dozen debates or something that they've tried to schedule, and they're saying that, that Kevin Kramer's not scheduling the debates. Uh, we've had Kramer on this program, and – I've asked him about that, and his rebuttal to that is that it's not his job to make Heidi Heitkamp accessible. But you know what? I've been thinking about this. This issue's been gnawing at me a little bit. I think Kevin Kramer should agree to more debates. Uh, I think the Democrats are right. I think the Heitkamp campaign's right. I think he should agree to more debates. I, I don't understand why he's not. Um, I understand to appoint his rebuttal, right? I understand what he's saying, because he, he told me back on this program back in August when I asked him about this, he said, you know, it's not his job to make her accessible. He said the senator's trying to dig out from five and a half years of not being accessible during an election year. I think he's probably right. I think when, when election years roll around, I, I think all of a sudden, particularly senators, who only have to worry about re-election every six years, all of a sudden, you know, they'll start, they'll start, they'll get really active, right? You'll see a lot more public events. You'll see a lot more press releases and everything else. Uh, and, and asking, demanding more debates are part of that. Um, particularly if you're the candidate that's losing. And, and I think Senator Heitkamp's been behind in the polls pretty much all year. And so, of course, she's demanding more debates with the guy who's winning the election. I mean, that's what you do. When you're losing, you want more debates. When you're winning, you want fewer debates. That's just kind of the way it goes. And I'll even concede that maybe Kevin Kramer's making the right political decision in not offering more debates, right, or, or accepting more debates politically maybe that's maybe that's what's best maybe that's the safe choice for him um but i feel like he should aspire to something more than just what's best for him politically i mean listen a lot of times these debates they can be a lot of puffery right a lot of grandstanding a lot of talking points a lot of attempts at gotcha moments right i mean we've all watched them if not locally, then at least nationally, the presidential debates or whatnot. We've seen them. They are what they are. But there is something. I think some, they can produce something valuable. I think sometimes when you force the candidates to get in a room together and engage with one another, sometimes something candid can break through. And any time, I mean, these, these 
campaigns, particularly these days, and particularly when you start getting to the level of federal elections, the candidates are are buried in so many layers of veneer and polish that I think any time you could break through that and get something candid to come through, get something authentic to come through, then that has value. And sometimes, not always, but sometimes, debates can provide that. And what I don't understand about Kramer is that he has built a brand around accessibility, right? I mean, Eric, you, you've seen this. I mean, he talks about his willingness to come on this program, to go on other programs all the time. It's, it's a part of his, and I, don't, I think it's a very good thing. I'm glad he does it. It's a part of his cachet. But the thing then is why not live up to that with the debates, Right? I mean, if, if his campaign, and, and they, they talk about, well, they're scheduling this and scheduling that. Come on. There's no campaign event that couldn't be moved around for a debate. You could make, they could make more debates work if they really wanted to. And they're just not doing it. And I think it's a political decision. I mean, at this point, they're in the lead. Why give Heitkamp more opportunities to create talking points? Why give her more opportunities to get af- after them and, and maybe get her hooks into something? Maybe, maybe uncover an issue that could uh, get some traction. Politically, that's the safe bet. And I'm sure if I, if I called up, you know, Kramer's uh, campaign people and had them talk to me off the record or had them talk to me on the record, you know, they, they'd probably admit that. Well, probably more likely they'd admit it off the record than on the record, but they would probably admit that. Politically, this is the safe thing to do. Um, but I, I don't care that much about that. And also, again, part of Kramer's brand is, is kind of being a, a political iconoclast. Right? I mean, he, he challenges political convention. He always has. I mean, I, I'm thinking back in a 2012 when he was first campaigning for the, or not first campaigning, but his first successful bid for the United States House, he opted not to go to the NDGOP convention and seek their endorsement at all. That was an extremely unusual maneuver for a candidate, and it worked for him. He skipped the Republican Party's convention entirely, didn't get their endorsement, instead ran straight to the primary ballot, and he won easily. So this is this is not somebody who typically does things the normal way. As a matter of fact, you know, a lot of people have talked about over the years, you know, why Kevin Kramer is so enamored with Donald Trump. I, I think that's a part of it. I think I think in Trump, Kramer sees somebody who in a lot of ways is like him. Now, Trump's obviously more bombastic than Kramer is. But still, I think I think Kramer sees somebody who just doesn't do things the same way. And so why not live up to that? Why not keep it up? And, and again, all I can see is, is Kevin Kramer's playing it safe. And maybe it's, I guess it's hard to blame any politician for doing that, Eric. I mean, they all do self-serving things. Senator Heitkamp does her fair share of self-serving things in the election cycle. But, I mean, do you understand what I'm saying? I think you ought to agree to more debates. I think that the debates are are really good for for the public because you're not going to get let let's let's be honest in a in a political ad you can get across whatever you want to get across you can skew things any way yeah. you want but when you have the two candidates debate against each other you're going to get more honesty yeah um, however everybody likes Heidi even Kevin Kramer has said that, so I can understand his w- willingness or unwillingness to, to do this because this might give a chance for Heidi to yeah to, to, to live up to that. Everybody likes Heidi. 
And that, and that's 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 not even specific to high camp. Every every election cycle, we have a little a little controversy like this, right? Where the the challenging politician, and it's hard because I'm kind of casting high camp's obviously the incumbent, but she's been trailing in the polls, at least the publicly available polls that we've been able to see since February. So, although she's the incumbent, she's not exactly been the front runner. Put it that way. And so every election cycle, we see the person who is either the challenger or not the front runner come out and they'll demand 100 debates and whoever is the incumbent or the front runner will, you know, agree to a much smaller number of debates. And then the incumbent or the challenger has a talking point where they say, oh, what are they afraid of? Why won't they debate us? Um, and so that's that's all normal. Like that happens every election cycle. In this one, I think what's different is – Kramer Kramer has set himself apart from other politicians as being more accessible. And this runs against Brand. And I don't I don't think by any stretch of the imagination this is going to cost him the election. If anything, politically, it's the smart move. It's just on a personal level, I expected more from him. And uh, you know, and, and this is it's not the end of the world, but I expected more from him. I think he should have more debates. What do you think? Let's ask the audience. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. We're on Port 970 WDYM 93.1 FM. That's my, my question for you is, do you think we ought to have more debates in, in the United States Senate race? It's a nationally important race. You know, I mean, this is getting all you can't turn cable news on now without hearing about this race. It's it's a hugely important race. And uh, I frankly, I think the candidates ought to ought to ought to debate more. And I honestly, I think that's on Kevin Kramer. Right. And and again, this happens every election cycle. The candidate who's trailing behind in the polls, uh, you know, wants a ton of debates. And the person who's winning doesn't want so many debates politically. That's the safe thing to do. I understand why they do it. But. You know, Kevin Kramer likes to set himself apart. Is not somebody who's just always going to do the politically safe thing. In this instance, I think he ought to agree to more debates. But let's, uh, what do you think? 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Let's go to the phones. Tom, you're on. What's up? Yeah, okay. Well, first of all, I'd like to say, um, as far as the oil extraction, you're saying, oh, this is great for the, uh, the economy and everything in North Dakota. We need to. You said they're building another refinery in uh, North Dakota or thinking about it, or what's that? And then, uh, well, for the longest time when Obama was in office, all they could talk to about was, like, energy security. we got to have the Keystone Pipeline so we can have energy security. Well, it's not secure energy if you're selling it off to every other foreign country now, is it? That's economy yeah, I, security, I, I, maybe for oil companies I, and try to get all this yeah. oil out of the ground and burn it up as fast as they can before renewable energy takes over. As far as re, uh, as far as uh, having more debates, yes, absolutely. That's the only way we get to know these people beyond, like you're saying, the ads and all this other, yeah. you know, all these other stuff that you well, see get, get to know them candidly, cheap, and, and you know, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, sh- I should get, get to know them candidly. I think that's what the debates are for because all the all the campaign marketing and when the candidate goes out and does a stump speech or whatever, that stuff's all choreographed, right? Democrats, Republicans, it doesn't matter. It's all it's all stage handled. It's all you know highly polished or whatever. I think what debates are useful for is you put the two candidates. They're right there 
in the same room. They got to respond to each other in real time. I think sometimes that can crack through that polish and give us something that's that's real or at least realer. And to me, that has value. So I understand what Kramer's doing politically. It's safe. Um, I just I think I think he should aspire to something more. As for the oil thing, I always thought the energy security thing. Vis-a-vis, you know, the idea that, that we need to be energy independent, which I think is what you were talking about, Tom. I've always thought that that was kind of dumb. You know, of course we want to export our oil. You know, why we export our food, too. I, I mean, why would we not want to export American products to other parts of the world? So the energy, like, but, but if you want to talk about energy security insofar as tapping in and utilizing resources that we all use, I use it, Tom, you use it, Tom, if we stopped using oil and gas today, uh, our quality of life would diminish significantly. I don't think that's a world any of us really want to live in. So we got to use this these resources. Um, renewable energy sources are not ready to take over for oil and gas. Until they are, uh, we ought to use them, and we ought to use them responsibly, and that means building things like refineries. Like, yeah, what we're talking about is the Davis Refinery over by Theodore Roosevelt National Park. Well, actually, what I was meaning is, is what the, the Republicans were pushing, we have to have energy security is we have to have yeah and I'm, I'm telling you that was a dumb like that. that was a dumb no, talking no, point and so we have enough oil for ourselves and you know the world's running out of oil which is not actually i guess in russia there's a huge play of shale oil but it's in the the permafrost and they're having trouble trying to figure out how to get to it but it's uh 50 times bigger than bakken so it's huge um but it's uh the global warming and climate change thing is is getting out of control. They just had a report here the other day. By 2040, we're going to be in deep uh, deep trouble. And, uh, you know, we're going to start doing things to change that. But as far as energy security, well, that was the idea that uh, we have to have oil just for ourselves. So if the Middle East turns off the oil tax or Russia or, or you know, any other major source, and we end up short. Yeah. Um, and then well, I, I think our I, economy, the energy security, that's nice to have that security. The Bakken's good for, they figure, until the middle of the century. Well, that's not very long from now, really. I mean, that's a short-term plan. Now we're going to have renewable energy well, ready by it's a then. Couple of, it's, it's, it's a couple of generations, and who knows? Maybe we will have renewable energy by then. Or maybe, I mean, well, people have been predicting that we're going to run out of oil for a long time. I mean, there was a time before people thought the, the Bakken, the Three Forks formations, uh, here in North Dakota, that they were played out, and then we figured out how to get more oil out of them. So that's a moving needle all the time, Tom. I think it's dangerous to predict the sort of things that will happen in the future. I will tell you, in the here and now, it makes sense to develop American resources and for those resources to be exported so that we can compete with the Middle East, so that we can compete with Russia. That's what's best for our country. Thanks for the call, Tom. Appreciate it. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Hey, I just added a guest, too, Public Service Commission. Randy Crisman's going to be on talk about the uh, Meridian refinery decision. Also, news from XL Energy. If you're an XL Energy customer, you're going to be getting some money back. Possibly, there's a proposal thanks to the Trump tax cuts. We'll talk with him about that as well. More to come. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rapport 970 WDYM 93.1 FM. We uh, we've been talking about this debate thing with uh, Kevin Kramer and Heidi Heitkamp, but. Um, I we I got a comment on this. Kanye West is um is is visiting the Oval Office today, um ostensibly because they're going to talk about prison reform, but um 
I, let's face it. I, I think Kanye is getting some face time because he and uh, he and the president. Uh, he's 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 a he's been a supporter support. of the president. Yeah, and, and as, as a matter of fact, in uh, an Afro a celebrity, a rare A list celebrity supporter of the president who also is African American. I mean, politically, let's not kid ourselves. I I detest identity politics, but reality is being what they're being. That lines up pretty good for President Trump. Uh, but Kanye is. Yeah. Here's the thing about Kanye West. I think it's I think the debate and, and, and the reaction that he's getting for being a Trump supporter is interesting to talk about insofar as there are a lot of people in this country who think that your skin color that your skin color should dictate how you see the world politically. And I think that that's wrong. I, I don't think you're an individual. I hate the sort of politics that, that expects us to line up into groups and then vote collectively as members of that group. I don't like that. You're an individual. Believe what you want to believe. You know, think what you want to think. That's that's freedom. And so, but I, I, I think, and so I, I think insofar as paying attention to Kanye West from that perspective is important. But if people are expecting him, I have some audio from his appearance in, in the White House. Uh, and if you feel like, Kanye West is going to be like an artic. He's going to articulate a coherent political argument. Uh, think again. Let's roll the audio. It's not that I don't like what I what I need Saturday Night Live to improve on, or what I need the liberals to improve on is if he don't look good, we don't look good. This is our president. He has to be the freshest, the flyest, the flyest planes, the best factories, and we have to make our core be in power. We have to bring jobs into America because our best export is entertainment and ideas. But when we make everything in China and not in America, then we're cheating on our country. And we're putting people in positions to have to do illegal things to end up in the cheapest factory ever, the, uh, the prison system. All right. Um, some of that made sense. About 50% of that made sense. The stuff about him, the president needing to have the flyest plane and the best factories. Uh, man, I don't know. Um, and, and this is the problem. And here, here's the thing is, um, most celebrities are incoherent like this. I mean, if you really listen to them, cause I'm not sure a lot of people do right. A lot of, a lot of what we just get is like the insult, like, you know, Robert De Niro uh, called uh, Trump something despicable that I can't repeat on air, right? I mean, that's usually the headline that we get. If we drill down, these people are not saying intelligent things about politics most of the time. A lot of times it's just sort of invective. A lot of the times it's just jokes. It's not really serious commentary. They're not engaged. They're not, like, articulating a political argument. It's just we're on one side and we hate the people on the other side. That's what most celebrity political activism is and so kanye i don't think really is any different like you listen to most of what he says it's not very coherent eric you and i were talking about this before um he was out like he was talking for the abolishment of the 13th like he was criticizing the 13th amendment yeah which freed the slaves that's the emancipation like that's my gosh like that's i it's I mean, so I, I respect what Kanye West is doing from a like it's it's a brave thing as an A-list Hollywood celebrity. Given Hollywood's politics, it's a brave thing to, to stand up and dissent against that. And I don't begrudge Kanye West his political feelings, and he supports Donald Trump, and he sees something there he likes, and that's great. And I think it's courageous 
I think it's courageous for him to uh, to stand up and uh, and say that. I, I think that's worth talking about because I think it's a blow to identity politics and anything we can do to that uh, to destroy that, uh, I think is great. Um, I I think there's a double standard though, right? Like when when Beyonce or Jay Z or Jimmy Kimmel or somebody says something incoherent about politics, we all like. Nobody focuses on that, right? Um, but Kanye West is incoherent, and now we're all focusing on it. Now suddenly the fact that most of these celebrities kind of don't really know what they're talking about, now all of a sudden that, that matters. I think that double standard's kind of interesting. Um, but generally, I don't, I don't even know, because we hear every election cycle too. We hear about you know the celebrities, they're at the award shows, they're doing this, they're doing that, they're resisting, they're giving out all sorts of money. When was, I mean, do you think celebrities even really have as big of an impact maybe as we give them credit for? I think they do with with their fans who don't follow politics, the the uninformed. I think they they have some pull there, but uh, for, maybe for, yeah. for for the average citizen who pays attention to politics, I, I don't think it really has much effect at all. Uh, it's also I'm important sure. to note Kanye's got a new album coming out in November, and he is yeah. the king of <laughs> of getting his name out there. You know, and and a lot of times the way he does that is to say outrageous things, hence the the 13th Amendment comment. But, yeah, but I mean, this is a little more. I mean, he's in the Oval Office today. This is a little more than dropping some some outrageous Bon Mots on Twitter or something. He's walking around wearing a Make America Great hat. Yeah. And and, and to a certain degree, I'm I'm cheering him on from a certain degree because I think it's a wrecking ball for identity politics. Right. If if this opens it up to people. so people can just feel like, you know, I'm 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 an artist, I'm an entertainer, uh, I'm I'm I, my skin's a certain color, and I can just believe what I want politically. That's I think that's great. I think that's a positive development. Um, but uh, you know, I I would like the whole country to just maybe stop caring a little less what celebrities have to say about any of this stuff. I, I don't I don't know and and honestly frankly I don't I don't know if if celebrities were had as much muscle I I think in terms of swaying political outcomes in the United States of America Hillary Clinton would have won in 2016 right because Hollywood was united against Trump and not just united against him but extremely engaged extremely extremely engaged and they couldn't do it they couldn't do it um and so that's um. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think I, I just I don't think celebrities are as important. I don't, I don't think we give them a ton of attention. Right. Because they have these huge platforms. They have their social media followings. They could say things during interviews at award shows, whatever. I mean, they could certainly elevate an issue. Um, they could certainly call attention and, and, and shine a light on things. But I don't I don't know. I don't know that. um it's as, it's as important as as a lot of people think. Do you agree with that? Like Kanye specifically, though, being an African American, you know, a list celebrity endorsing a Republican, and not just any Republican, but one detested by his fellow people. I think that's interesting, just oh, yeah. insofar as that it's it's out of the norm. Yep. And do you agree with me about it just being kind of a kind of a blow to identity politics too? Sure. Yeah, because I don't I don't. I I hate the idea that your skin color should control how you think. 
You know, you're an individual. Like, you're you're not your skin color. I mean, obviously, that's a part of you, but you are a collection of unique life experiences. You are a collection of, of unique choices that you've made. That's who you are. And if that leads you to see the world a certain way, then you shouldn't, you know, feel pressured to join some group because you uh, have a certain uh, sexual orientation or you have a certain gender or a certain skin color or uh, practice a certain religion. None of that stuff should matter. Like you should just feel like you, but I don't, in modern America, I mean, I don't think you can do that. And, and, and again, you look at some of the things people are saying about Kanye West, some of the ugly, ugly things, calling him a, you know, an uncle Tom and a, and a, a token. Uh, I heard somebody calling him a, a, a token Negro for, for crying out loud. I mean, that's awful. Right. I don't think Kanye West is articulating a particularly coherent and I'm somebody who's inclined to generally agree with President Trump's policies. I don't think Kanye West is a outside of obviously his status as an A-list celebrity is a particularly articulate um, communicator when it comes to actual policy or actual like like philosophical like this is why I believe it. He's just he's not. You read what he writes. It just a lot of it just doesn't make sense. Um. But I'll give it to him. He's got passion. That and I guess does. we'll see if this is all just I don't think that this is a stunt. I, I, I don't I don't I don't know going this far with it, I don't know it's really gonna help his record sales with his demographic. I just don't. But I don't know, maybe he's smarter than I am. He certainly makes a lot more money. Let's take a break. <laughs> we'll be right back after <laughs> I gotta get that Kanye money. That's right. Uh <laughs> Let's uh, we'll take a break. We'll come right back. Rob Report 970 WDYAM 93.1 FM. No, go away. Welcome back. Talking about Kanye West in the Oval Office today. Um, I got a reply on Twitter uh, from somebody who uh, says, uh, totally you don't see talking heads constantly crying about whatever thing the left did. Colin Kaepernick is a great example of how celebrities always get a pass from the right. I mean, that's that's not what I'm talking about, though. Right. I mean, Colin Kaepernick obviously was criticized by Republicans. What I'm saying, though, is that, uh, you know, when we have celebrity activists, most of the time are left wing. Right. Like 95 percent. I don't even want to put a percentage of most of the time they are. And when they say incoherent or stupid things, they get defended by the left. But then when Kanye does it, well, now all of a sudden and, I, you know, vice versa for the right. You know, I, I in in my same Twitter thread, I have people defending uh, uh, Kanye. Here's Luke on Twitter. I thought Kanye was extremely articulate and coherent in this clip, Rob, and I agree with everything he articulated. It's not his fault. If you can't understand him, fine would be incoherent. Maybe try listening to something other than Garth Brooks. <laughs> okay. I'll admit, I'll admit that Kanye West is outside. I, I tried listening to someone. I tried it. I'm, I've got an open mind. Uh, he's not really my thing. Um, I'm more of a... Admittedly, I am not really Garth Brooks either. I'm more of a more of a Waylon Jennings kind of guy. But, um, well, a great example. The problem, of the, problem the kind of the problem, the problem with the kind of music I like is that nobody's making it anymore. <laughs> They're all dead. <laughs> anyway, what were you going to say? I was going to say the 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 point or a point that would really I think emphasize what you're trying to say here is is with Roseanne, and obviously what she said was way over the top. But yeah, she was saying something against liberals or liberal beliefs and and that that cost her her job yeah 
Whereas uh, I don't think anybody like you, you look at like like some of the things like Madonna has said about President Trump or whatever. That stuff's never going to come. I mean, they say ugly, horrible things about Donald Trump. You'll see A-list celebrities talk about, you know, violent things. Uh, and you think that's ever going to cost them like a like a like a record contract or a, or a role in a big movie? You know, probably not. So I, I think that's I think that's the, the double standard, um, you know, and I think the problem with Kanye West is, I mean, that's hard. Uh, he's an African like the usual things that the left could say about Republican that, you know, always oh, a racist. He's a closet racist where you have a tough time saying those things about Kanye West. That's that's going to be tough for you. Um, but again, I, most of the celebrity outside of if Kanye West were in a hugely talented musician rapper artist um would we care what he has to say about politics no of course not right if 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 you take you take his celebrity away and and obviously i mean i'm not meaning to diminish him hugely talented dude right his music's not my thing but i can recognize talent when i see it hugely talented guy no question about it um but nobody would care if it weren't for that talent nobody would care about what he has to say about donald trump were it not for that talent and that's that's what i struggle with when we elevate this sort of a discussion right and the left the left loves their celebrities and the right loves their celebrities and i guess that's just what we do i would rather not listen to the celebrities at all there's a lot of smart nerds who have a lot of very good ideas on public policy for this country that nobody knows about and that to me is kind of sad I, it's kind of sad to think that that an election, and I don't think Taylor Swift. I mean, here's a good example. You want to talk about how much do celebrities really impact elections? Which way are Phil Bredson's polling numbers going right now? Because right, he ain't doing good in Tennessee, despite Taylor Swift getting national, making national news. I was li- literally, like I was pointing out this week, getting uh, breaking news notices because Taylor Swift had endorsed in the Tennessee Senate race. But I don't think that's going to put him over the top. I don't think this stuff matters. We spend a lot of time talking about it because we are obsessed with celebrities. And, hell, I've spent the last half hour talking about it. I guess I'm part of the problem, Eric. I got sucked in. Rob, we've I'm always, talking about the celebrities, too. We've always known that you're part of the problem, regardless of what the problem is. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> wow. Kidding. All right. All right. All right. Uh, talking about, uh, I got an email for Brad talking about Kevin Kramer in the debates. He goes, uh, Kramer went on Heidi's brother's show. So that's enough for me to know Kramer's not hiding. So his point is spot on. I've never seen Heidi do an interview that wasn't a softball game. And you know, that's the point. That's a fair criticism of Heidi Cam. Um, and it's a fair point. I've, I've obviously struggled to get Senator Heidi Camp to come on this show. And yes, Senator Heidi Camp won't come on on other right leaning shows in our region. Uh, but Congressman Kramer goes on her brother's show. That's that's fair criticism. Uh, but I don't – if Kevin Kramer wants to have the moral high ground, then I think he's got to keep it. And I think – honestly, I think that means agreeing to more debates than he has. That's that's the point I'm trying to make. Does that make sense, Eric? Yeah. And you've, you've had Democrats running for other races on your program, so it's not like – I think I've had – I think I've had every Democrat on the statewide ballot on this show mm-hmm. no uh gene brant in the public service commission i haven't have not been able to get her on the show um otherwise you've had plenty other than that i think i think we've had everybody on and and lots of democratic lawmakers we have lots of democrats on this show so it's just high camp doesn't like to come on and, and that's a fair criticism of her and i understand what kevin kramer says this is not his job to make her accessible but 
I just think you should live up to his brand and, and agree to more debates. That's me. Hey, Public Service Commissioner uh, Randy Crispin's going to be on. There's a plan. XL Energy may be giving you some money back. Thanks to the Trump tax cuts, we'll talk about that. Also, William Prentice, CEO of Meridian Energy, we'll talk about their refinery project out by Theodore Roosevelt National Park. This is the Rob Report, Hour 2, straight ahead. Welcome back, Rob Report, 970 WDYM, 93.1 FM. Here to chat with us now to kick off the second hour is uh, Public Service Commissioner Randy Chrisman. He is a uh, Republican, and there's been a couple of, couple things happened this week at the Public Service Commission that are worth talking about. Randy, how are you? I'm doing just fine. Hope you're doing as well. There have been a lot of things happen that are worth talking about, but we can limit it to yeah. two. All right. Well, we only have so much time, Randy. You know how radio works. Right. we got to sneak in all these ads, too. Otherwise, you know, they can't afford me to pay my Kanye West-like salary. I'm kidding. <laughs> the I'm kidding. I know. No, Eric makes more than I do. Anyway, we have... Um, Eric's laughing. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I'm. I don't, I don't know what I'm doing right now. Um, we. Uh, oh, first thing I want to talk to you about, and and this I should be clear, this is not settled policy, uh, but there has been a proposal from XL Energy, um, resulting from the Trump tax cuts, uh, which, in which North Dakotans would get, I, I think, something equivalent to maybe an average of forty six dollars back. Uh, from the company, and also we would see an agreement not to raise utility rates for a while. And, and again, this is all coming from the Trump tax cuts. Uh, this is going out for public hearing now. But but just tell us a little bit about what this agreement is and, and, and what it looks like, You know how likely it is that something like this could actually become policy. Well, I, I will say that I am very confident that the, the rate payers in North Dakota are going to ultimately experience all the savings that the utility companies get from the Trump tax cuts. That's a huge thing. We were one of the first commissions in the nation to start talking about it. We brought it up in December last year already, actually before the House had even finished voting on it, but it was clear what was going to happen. Uh, but but uh, it, it's a slow process. We don't have a big staff, and these are, are complex things to figure out. It's not just a matter of uh, looking at their tax uh, requirements and changing it from 35 to 21 percent, it's much more complicated than that because utilities do deferred cost accounting, so we spread their costs out over the you know life of, of uh, the, the things they build instead of over the years that they're tax deductible and those kinds of things. So it's really complex. But we are getting it finalized, and, and, and the proposal that was put forth between advocacy staff, who represent the consumers out there, and the company for the commission to consider is, is laid out there now. And yesterday we just opened it up for, for public comment, and uh, if there are requests for a full hearing, we could do that, or we as commissioners might decide to do either a full hearing or just a, an informal hearing ourselves. But the basis of this settlement, which is, I think, the point that you're, you're really looking for is, that uh, the idea behind it was that the savings in their taxes, which uh, they calculated come to almost $10 million for 2018, would be refunded to the consumers, and that would be based on their uh, utility bills that they've had. And, and depending on how long this takes to get it completely finalized, that would probably be the end of March, beginning of April time frame when that would happen. Uh, so, so it does take a while yet here, but, but it would be about $10 million. Then the rest of the settlement proposal is 
that for the next two years, um, they would be allowed to hold on to that because the fact of the matter is they haven't had a, a, a rate case for a number of years. Um, advocacy staff who have uh, scoured their books and stuff and, and feel that if they do apply for a rate case, it'll be pretty significant and they'll probably be entitled to a pretty significant hike. And so the settlement would be that for tax years 2019 and 2020, they would keep this excess income taxes um, in exchange for not requesting a rate case for those two years. And so, so that would essentially be their rate hike for the two years. And, and uh, probably sometime in 2021, we'd be looking at a new rate case from Excel. Well, that's all good news. What uh, what about the other? Now, am I right saying that Excel Energy is our largest provider of electricity? I mean, are they the biggest operating in the state? They are, yes, sir. Okay, um, but there are I, there are some other companies. Are, are we going to see similar agreements with them as well, or what does that look like? Yeah, uh, a, num- a number of the others are actually finished up and, and having the saving, like for MDU and Ottertail, are having the savings calculated right now, and and there uh, will be refunds coming out to the customers here in the coming months. Uh, th- those cases are already wrapped up here, et cetera. Oh, okay. Uh, determining the exact amounts for each customer. Wonderful. Well, that's that's all good news, and that's savings. And, and again, I mean, it may sound small, like a one-time, you know, I, I don't know, I, I think the Bismarck Tribune article said from Excel it would be like an average of $46 per customer. I mean, maybe that doesn't sound like a lot. In the aggregate, though, you're talking about millions and millions of dollars. That, that's not a bad infusion into the state's economy. And then also holding down rates for another couple years is well, well maybe not it's hard to quantify that value but it's it's not it's not nothing it is significant and 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 staff here that that have been doing the research are pretty confident that it, it's equal value and you know when you think of of uh just for the the communities that excel serves um 10 million dollars each year that is, is staying on those main streets instead of going off to washington dc uh, and then figure somewhat similar kinds of savings for the other utility companies. Uh, this is being spread around the state, and it's an enormous benefit. And, and it really shows the importance of that tax cut that was uh, finalized last December, almost a year ago now. Let's uh, let's switch gears. Let's talk about the um, the Davis Refinery. Um, and, and by the way, I'm Will Prentice, uh, William Prentice, uh, CEO of Meridian Energy, is actually going to be calling in. Uh, at 1:30 here, we'll talk with him. But but as far as the Public Service Commission is is concerned, the the background of what you guys decided this week is there was a complaint filed, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. But my understanding is a a, sure. a complaint was filed. They alleged that, um, that 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 Meridian was being a little too cute with their with with the threshold, which would have invoked PSC citing jurisdiction over it. Uh, you know, at, at, at times in the past, Meridian has said that the capacity of this refinery would be above that threshold. But in their, their final numbers, they said, no, we're going to come in just below it. Um, I think what was alleged is that they were being a little cute and that they should undergo the siting anyway. Administrative law judge came in and said, well, hey, even if they're planning on expanding in the future, if they're below the threshold, they're below the threshold. The, the jurisdiction uh, doesn't kick in. And and the Public Service Commission voted to to basically agree with that this week. Am I getting all that right, Randy? You're pretty pretty accurate there. Um, bottom line is, is this: uh, whether it's a, a cutesy thing that that 
let's go to the beginning. Originally, when the first I ever heard of this refinery being built, it was talked about as 55,000 barrels. Um, the point that the legislature has set where the Public Service Commission would have fighting jurisdiction and where they would need a certificate from us is 50,000 barrels. Now, we'll never know. You, know, we, you don't know people's motivation. Did As they costed this out and, and figured the costs of building supplies and, and markets and things like that, did, did they uh, decide 55 was a little bit too big and cut it back a little and it happened to be 49.5 they reached? Or did they look at the siting process and decide they didn't want to go through it, so they cut their project back to 49.5? fact of the matter is it doesn't matter why they did it. We follow the law here. We're not the EPA that run the EPA under the Obama administration, let's say, that that runs around trying to create our own laws. Um, we follow the laws that's written, and uh, the legislature has said that when it comes to refineries, our siting threshold is 50,000 barrels per day, and so they have uh, designed a plan. They have sworn under oath that they are not building beyond 49,500. And uh, whether it's 49,500 or 25,000, as long as it's under 50,000, it is not in our jurisdiction, and we can't compel them to come in and, and seek a siting certificate. I, I realize that I, I mean, I can't speak, and maybe I'm, I've got the CEO on at 1.30, so maybe he could speak to it, but I can't speak to what their motivations are. I'm just not sure that their motivations matter i mean the threshold is what it is i'm 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 thinking of it like in terms of of tax policy right i mean the tax code is littered with all sorts of of triggers you know especially the income tax where you know we obviously have the tax brackets and once you go above a certain amount of income certain things trigger in or there's certain deductions that kick in and out at certain levels or whatever and people make decisions based on that all the time and I don't think anybody would look askance at somebody who said, hey, I, I pulled back on this because if I go above this, then I, I won't get this deduction or whatever. I mean, that's just planning. And we can all have an opinion about whether or not that's the smart thing to do. But it's in law now. I mean, Meridian's basically playing by the game. In law now, there's a threshold. Um, they have opted in their final plan not to cross the threshold. Now, if at some point it comes out that they're lying – and they're actually running at a capacity above that, and they didn't go through the siding process. Okay, well then that's that's a problem. They have committed fraud, and uh, you know they'll be held accountable for it. But if they stay below that threshold, if they plan to stay below that threshold, and they do stay below that threshold, then the PSC's jurisdiction doesn't kick in. Full stop. That's the law. Don't like the law? Change the law. Uh, that's that's how I look at it. You, you sum it up pretty well, but I would just add a couple things. Our order even mentions that uh, going above would subject, subject them to some civil and criminal action. And, you know, when when you think of the, the potential of a problem there, if they're uh, breaking this threshold uh, down the line and, and, and there's evidence of it, they could be shut down. You could have a whole bunch of employees, and I don't know how much this thing's going to cost, say a billion dollars or something, plant setting there and unable to run until they go through a whole siting process. So it's pretty significant penalty here. And uh, like I say, they've sworn under oath. That is it. I also think it's important to point out these thresholds set by the legislature. It's not some ancient law that's been sitting there and, and uh, someone really failed by not looking at it for a long time. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. But it's not that it hasn't been looked at. 
sighting laws were created in the 70s. Um, over the years, uh, th th there have been multiple accusations that uh, on pipelines that people have kind of gamed the system because, according to the law, transmission lines need a sighting certificate from us. Gathering lines don't. There have been times when gathering lines were built, then later transitioned to become transmission lines, and then got a sighting certificate, but the construction was already done. Legislatures looked at it and made a decision not to change that. Now, another case, in wind farms, there was a time when wind farms were being built just under the siting threshold. The legislature lowered the siting threshold to capture them all so they'd all go through the siting threshold. So the legislature has looked at these thresholds and determined over the years that 50,000 is where they want to leave it. Now, with this project, I'm guessing they're going to be looking at it again. But until they come into town and do something different, the law is the law, and we follow the law here. Do you feel like uh, – well, I, I should ask this. I mean, the, this this project, it's it's been a little controversial. It's made uh, regional headlines. Do you feel I, – I, do they have anything left before the Public Service Commission at this point, or is this was this it? This is it. Okay. But I think they um, still have – I think they still have like an air quality thing or something with the Department of Health they've got to get through. Yeah, I believe there's something with the Department of Health. I don't know whether it's water issues or air issues or anything like that, but but it does not involve the PSC. All right. Randy, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Good talking to you. Have a good afternoon. It's Randy Crispin. This is Rob Port, 970 WDY AM 93.1 FM. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Man, I, I made a lot of uh, a lot of my uh, right-leaning Republican uh, listeners, readers upset today, Eric. See, uh, I told you fronts. it's always your fault. Yeah, it's always my fault. <laughs> I can't make anybody happy. What happened? I uh, my well, my sins today where I was critical of Kevin Kramer. I think you should debate Heidi Heitkamp more. People are uh, are saying I'm all wet about that. Kevin's all sorts of accessible. They tell me, and uh, you know Heidi's the one who's hiding, and uh, and, and Kevin Kramer uh, is it's not a big deal. And I again I. I don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill. I'm just saying my preference is more debates. I, I think, to me, I think that's the most interesting part of the campaign is the two candidates in a room candidly engaging with one another. Let's let's. I think that's always the most interesting stuff when you catch the candidate in an unguarded moment, right? And I think you could create some of those moments during a debate. You're not going to get that out of a TV ad. You know, you're not going to get – honestly, that's why I like Kevin Kramer coming on this show, right? I mean, the, the calls are unfiltered. He gets some real zingers sometimes. Yep. And, uh, and sometimes that can knock something loose. I think he gets something candid. I think that's valuable. Uh, Heitkamp largely avoids that, but if she wants debates, it's it's a good thing. I, I don't – so anyway, that's my um, that's my two cents, but I get blasted for that. And people upset with me being critical of Kanye West, too. Right, which just, which just goes to so if, if we were talking about Colin Kaepernick, these people who are defending Kanye West would be all over Kaepernick, right? They, you know, oh, shut up and play or whatever. I guess you can't say shut up and play about Kaepernick. Nobody wants to give him a job. No, no, no. Um, um, do you think do you think he doesn't have a job because he because of the political stuff? Do you think that's why, Eric? Yeah, I don't watch football enough. I I don't know. I don't think he's he that good. I don't think he's a fantastic quarterback, but he is at least a second string quarterback at the very least. I and so. and I, I think that yeah. these NFL teams just don't want that attention right now. There's enough attention on the NFL and things that aren't going right with them that yeah. they don't need any more. I think it's probably a mixture. I don't think he's good enough. 
I don't think he's good enough for a lot of these teams. He's not good enough to justify some of the controversy that he's going to bring in the door with him. Right. right? And at the end yep. of the day, these football teams are businesses. Yep. So, I mean, do you – I mean, you do a cost-benefit analysis for the controversy he's going to bring in versus having a good second-string quarterback. I think it's a combo of the two, probably. And I, I say this with, with – I don't particularly like football that much. I don't watch it. I couldn't evaluate a quarterback – uh, any more than I could evaluate like Stephen Hawking's math. Like I, I, I don't know what I'm talking about with quarterbacks, but um, that I suspect that's it. I mean, if you know, I'm trusting that your evaluation of his talent level, I think it's a combination of the two. But people are saying, you know, by the way, Colin Kaepernick was not a particularly good advocate for his cause either. You know, he did the kneeling thing, but have you ever heard him talk about this issue? He's not that smart. He's not that coherent. And some of the decisions he made, like, uh, you know, he's out wearing, like, a Che Guevara shirt. He's out praising Fidel Castro. Are you kidding me? I mean, you're, you're, you're protesting police brutality by praising somebody who was kept in power by a police state? You think Cuba's hands are clean when it comes to police brutality? The way, I mean, how do you think the Castro stayed in power? How do you think the Castro regime continues to stay in power? A police state. The cops beating up dissenters. I mean, so if that's your cause, why are you, why are you praising Cuba? Right? Other than it's just, I guess it's just sort of fashionable in left-wing causes to, to do that. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, you want to look at, like, intelligent, coherent arguments. Well, that wasn't very coherent on his part. Most of these celebrities, if you look at what they're actually saying, don't make a lot of sense. You cut through the slogans. You cut through the headlines. It doesn't actually make a lot of sense. But yet they're everywhere. They dominate our politics. Um, let's see. 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about the Meridian Refinery uh, coming up here next, uh, William Prentice. And they've started – my understanding is they've actually started the groundwork. Um, you know, and, and I think – I mean, there are environmental groups out there, uh, the Dakota Resource Council or whatever, that have been opposing this thing. I, I think it's a good project for our state. Um, you know, and, and again, I, I think the more it, we, we pump the oil here, why not refine it here too, right? I mean, that's what the value added thing. We do that a lot with agriculture where, you know, I guess depending on which crop we're talking about, but we grow the crops here and then we process them here too. That's, that's a good thing, right? That's what we want. So anyway, we're going to, uh, we're going to take a little bit of a break. And, uh, and then we'll come back and we'll be talking with William Prentz, the CEO of Meridian Energy. This is the Rob Report, 970 WDAYM 93.1 FM. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report, 970 WDAYM 93.1 FM. Uh, talking now with, uh, we actually talked with Public Service Commissioner Randy Crispin a little while ago, and we mentioned this, but now uh, on with me, Meridian CEO uh, Bill Prentice. Uh, of course, uh, Meridian is the company behind the Davis Refinery. Uh, which you've probably heard about. Uh, usually in the context, people are saying, oh, it's it's that one that's that's being built near Theodore Roosevelt National Park, because I think that was sort of the first uh, rallying cry against the project. Uh, Bill, first of all, do you prefer Bill, Will, William? I, uh, the Bismarck Tribune was calling you Bill. I, I don't know what you prefer. No, Bill is fine. Bill's fine. All right. Um, well, first of all, t- tell us, I mean, you, you guys obviously uh, – uh, public service came in service commission yesterday saying uh, dismissing a complaint against the refinery saying uh, that the environmental groups that, that filed it is wrong are wrong 
uh, and that they don't have jurisdiction over the project, which, by the way, agreed with the findings of a of an administrative law judge uh, previously. So, so tell us, where, where's the project at now? Well, now that we have this uh, decision behind us, uh, we're continuing on to build the project. Um, we're actually, because of the weather, getting ready to button it up for the winter, but it's been in construction since about July 1st, I think. <clears throat> Excuse me, my voice, I'm picking up a cold, but hopefully you can hear me. Um, the project will be uh, back in the field as soon as uh, the ground allows us to resume construction this coming spring. In the meantime, we're going to be designing uh, detailed design on a lot of issues and uh, buying a lot of equipment. And you'll be able to see the refinery taking shape this coming summer. Do you uh, the the issue at hand? Obviously, and, and we we went through this with the previous guest. But the issue was this this threshold in um, in in state law, which says that that a facility like yours, which has a capacity of over fifty thousand dollars per day, has to be subject to the PSC's jurisdiction. You folks are saying that it's going to. You're not going to you have no current plans to go over forty nine thousand five hundred barrels per day. This is what Public Service Commissioner Julie Fedorchek said about it. Uh, she said this is a close call. It's a tough call. All indications suggest that the company is developing plans to avoid the additional regulatory scrutiny required of a siting permit. But the fact remains that the PSC is a regulatory body and we must have subject matter jurisdiction to preside over any matter. The insinuation there, and I don't want to put words in the commissioner's mouth, but it seems to me the insinuation there is that you folks are being cute and you're coming in just under the threshold to avoid regulation. What's your response to that? Well, first of all, you know, we we don't want to make uh, the commission feel like uh, like we think they're trying to do something untoward. They're trying to protect the people of North Dakota, and they take it very seriously and uh, – They've looked at this very carefully. Uh, the fact is we're not trying to avoid regulatory scrutiny. Uh, we just don't think we have to go through that process twice. Uh, we already did go through a, an extensive siting process with the county of Billings. Uh, we were in Billings County in 2016 for oh, about eight months worth of environmental review, including all of the things that are typically associated with a PSC siting investigation. So we've already been through that. Uh, I don't see any reason to subject the potential employees of, of the refinery and the shareholders of my company to a second process. This is what, uh, now, now the groups, uh, there's, there's a group of uh, environmental activist groups that they're the ones who filed the complaint. Um, they said, and I'm reading here again from the Bismarck Tribune, they said the PSC, quote, chose to trust the company at its word. Uh, they continued, uh, the PSC's decision ignores its duty as an independent utility regulator and the rights of North Dakotans to seek formal determinations from the PSC. Uh, they said in a statement, uh, this is a pivotal decision that could broadly affect the PSC's ability to regulate everything from electric rates to coal mines to wind siting and oil refinery siting, and it could, should concern all North Dakotans. I don't understand where they're coming at from there, Bill. Uh, the law says the threshold's fifty thousand dollars. Excuse me, fifty thousand barrels. If you if you're under fifty thousand barrels, then the law says what it says. I mean, it, that seems pretty cut and dry to me. And as a matter of fact, that that seems to be how the administrative law judge saw it as well. Well, yeah, and I, you read certain accounts 
of our project, and the world is going to come to an end if we build this refinery. But the fact is, uh, you know, you have speed limits on the freeways, but you still have state troopers. You don't just take it at everybody's word that they're going to go the speed limit and not ever look into it. We have decided to build this plant at the 49.5 level. It's being designed to operate at that level. Uh, anybody who wants to can come out and look in the control room and see that we're operating at that level. This is not a matter of taking our word for it. Uh, we have committed to a number of regulatory agencies exactly what we're going to do, and we're going to stick to it. And, and, and to be clear, if at some point in the future you do plan to go above that, you plan to expand or what have you, and, and honestly, I, I hope a day comes when you do expand because that's going to mean things are going pretty good here in North Dakota for our oil industry, which is so important to us. So I hope one day you do expand, uh, and if you get there, then the PSC will have jurisdiction, right? Then you'll have to go through that process. Yes, if we decide to go to 50,000 barrels per day or more, we will have to apply to the PSC for a siting certificate, and that will be for the entire capacity of the plant, not just the incremental capacity. But, you know, there's no advantage to having the largest refinery in the area. What we want is the greenest and most profitable refinery. So if I find myself with an extra couple of hundred million dollars laying around to invest in the Davis refinery, it's probably going to go into something that will reduce operating costs, uh, maybe increase the amount of vegetable oil that would go into the refinery to produce more green diesel or something like that. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that we would we would increase the capacity. That's the only, that's not the only measure of performance of this facility. Um, you know, as far as the people in in a local community and employees. Uh, they're going to get the full benefit of this plant in terms of its contribution to the local economy at 49.5 versus whatever other capacity we would have ever chosen to build this project at. Why, why is this project so important for North Dakota? Well, every state like North Dakota that has in the past been heavily dependent upon commodity production benefits greatly when it begins to take care of the processing of those commodities. Uh, your own governor has said how important that is to the state, not just in energy, but in agriculture as well. You've got over, um, well over a million barrels a day of oil coming out of there, and less than 100,000 barrels of it is refined locally for local markets. And yet that local market is not fully served the way it should be. Uh, it's important that these commodities get processed locally and produce local employment and local capital for that economy to grow locally. Uh, you know, it's, it's just strange to see all of this oil going down to the Gulf Coast and diesel coming back up. It's just an anomaly that, that shouldn't be allowed to exist. Well, it seems to me, too, we, we talk a lot about wanting to make, I mean, North Dakota is a very commodity-driven state. And so we talk a lot about needing to diversify our economy and make our economy more resilient so we don't have some of the wild up and down swings that we've seen in recent years. And that makes sense. And maybe a lot of people wouldn't think of a project like this as as diversification. But in a way, I, I, I think it is. I, I think 
building the refining refining capacity in North Dakota near our oil fields is 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 a way to make our oil industry more resilient and, and maybe less prone to the ups and downs of energy prices, right? Because now we have the capacity. I think building pipelines are the same way, right? Because we have that transportation. Obviously, that's a different thing. That's for getting the oil out of state, but still. We have it's enhancing the options we have to handle what we're bringing up out of the ground. And the more of that sort of stuff we have here in the state, the more resilient we're going to be for the oil industry going up and down. Am I right about that or am I am I just off in la la land? No, it's very important for a local economy to develop self-sufficiency. You have to have that local prosperity become sustainable. And that happens through investment in the capital base that not only recovers these these, uh, materials out of the ground, whether it's an agricultural product or an energy product, and processes it locally. Uh, That creates a great circle that that is served by that local economy. You have more people that live in the area and work in the area, and their demand for for the products that are produced there will increase. Uh, We see it happening all over the world all the time when economic development of the right sort takes place. This is natural economic growth, and it should be encouraged. So so what are the next steps? Do you guys still have, have uh, regulatory processes you got to get through, or, or is the slate clear at this point? We started construction a couple of months ago. Uh, the weather has not been very cooperative lately. Yeah, well, uh, that can't be a surprise to you. <laughs> yeah, no, we're, we're familiar with, uh, with that, you know, and I – uh, having built projects up on the North Slope and other parts of Alaska, it's it's just sort of normal way of doing business. Uh, that doesn't put us off at all. We're going to be okay. in operation on this project in late 2020 or early 2021, and uh, employment will start well before that. Well, that's wonderful. That sounds good. Uh, Bill Prentice, CEO of Meridian Energy, appreciate your time. Thank you very much, Rob. That's Bill Prentice. Um, I'm Rob Port. This is 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM. We're going to take a little break, then we'll come back. We'll wrap up the show. Don't go away. Lyle emailed, uh, I, and I, Lyle, I'm sorry I didn't get to your email, but he was asked, he wanted me to ask uh, Bill Prentice, CEO of Meridian, uh, why they chose the spot they chose, why so close to Theodore Roosevelt National Park. Now, I can't answer part of that question. I, I don't know why they chose that specific area. I don't know. Uh, I, I can't say it's not actually that close to the park. You know, and again, I, they've done tests. Of the, the, I mean, they, they flew a kite up. They, they did lights and everything. I mean, you, you can't see it from the park. It's not, you know, people are making it sound like they're building it, like, right next door to the park. Like, you got to drive by the refinery to get to the park. It's not that close. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I wrote about it a while ago where I actually plotted some of it on, on Google Earth. And it's, I mean, it's like eight miles away from the, the edge of the park as the crow flies you know it's it's a good distance from the park it's not that close i i really don't see that it's it's going to be that uh, a problem i i think the pre- and, and if you if you actually you look at it even the environmental activists aren't making that big of it it's like they've sort of moved i think they lost the argument on the proximity thing and they're not even talking about it that much so anyway uh let's see what's coming up on the show tomorrow oh we're gonna have chris cox on from the nra uh, he's going to be on because he's speaking at a get out and vote rally uh, being put on by Bikers for Trump. So uh, that's going to be happening, uh, I guess, in Bismarck. But uh, they're going to be here, Bikers for Trump. Uh, already uh, Bikers for Trump 2020, they're saying already. So anyway, he's going to be on the program tomorrow. We'll talk about that. 
Um, and, uh, you know, probably some other fun stuff. We could probably talk a little bit more about uh, maybe the Kanye thing. I'm still getting blowback on the Kanye thing. By wow. Me. On Twitter. I've got some Twitter people who are not happy with me about it. Uh, and I, I don't listen. I don't have, um, I don't have anything against, and and I even support. I mean, a lot of the way Kanye is getting treated, because he says he's he, because he's a Trump supporter, is um, is is wrong. I, I think that I support Kanye West in, in insofar as that. What I don't want to see happen though, because we do this a lot with celebrities, and we do it a lot on the right, because we don't have a lot of celebrities that support us as conservatives, right? And like I said, Eric, usually it's the washed up ones who, <laughs> who come out and um, we usually get like the C-list celebrities. That's usually <laughs> what we get. Um, and so it's, I mean, it's a unique situation. What I don't want to see is, is sometimes people start treating, I think it's important that Kanye West speaks his mind. I think what he's doing is brave from that perspective and that he's an A-list celebrity. He's in the prime of his career. Is he in the prime of his career? I'm assuming he is. I mean, he's still... I'm, I I really don't follow his career, I, I so I, I couldn't yeah. say. Not your type of music either. No. Yeah. Yeah, me neither. Um, but I I would I, from outward appearances, he seems to be in the prime of his career, and uh, you know, I mean, that's a courageous thing for him to do because you look at the flack he's getting for it. He was a. I was watching an interview because I have been following this, and I was watching an interview where he sat down with the interviewer, and the journalist asked him to take off. He said, "I'd be more comfortable if you took off your Make America Great Again hat." The journalist asked him that. What's the now, granted, point of that? Granted, it's it was one of these you know celebrity. I think it was TMZ or somebody like that. Okay. But the but the, I mean the, the guy who was interviewing him was like I'd feel more comfortable if you took off the hat. Are you kidding me? He has to take the hat off now. You know, and and to me that's the problem. I mean, if he can serve as a wrecking ball for that kind of crap, where it's it's just it's just deemed illegitimate to even you know argue in favor of donald trump you know if we could crack through some of that i think we'd be doing ourselves a favor and just get rid of identity politics i i I cannot tell you what a what a what a disgusting terrible thing identity politics is treating people like they're members of groups that's what it is that's what it is it's treating people like they're groups instead of individuals and that's not uh, a society that does not that's that is not a society i think any of us should really want to be a part of we, we should not want our society to be that all right jay thomas show straight ahead you can always catch me here 12 to 2 p.m monday through friday 970 wdym 93.1 fm 24 hours a day seven days a week at sayanythingblog.com thanks for listening we'll talk again